Mariners take a rough loss last Saturday to Kansas State, but there's still hope as I'm joined by walk-on candidates Tyler Burton and Corbin Polson. Guys, have you been practicing your 40 times? Adam, I spent most of the morning re-enrolling at the admissions office, just got done with about a five and a half hour workout at the gym, trying to get ready for this walk-on tryout coming up on October 19th, so feeling pretty good about it. Um, looks like we'll have some competition, Eddie Radosovich, he's putting in the hours as well, training behind the scenes, but yeah, feel good about it. Tyler, are you going to do your own self girth report or lengthen girth report Ooh. for yourself once you join there the will there will be a weigh-in it might be live streamed uh, on the mainline pod uh twitter account i don't know it's kind of up in the air to see might be able to get you guys down get some footage of it uh, but i don't know possibilities are endless is there an age restriction to this uh set of video that maybe <laughs> I, I honestly i honestly <laughs> kind of thought about that what is the age restriction on this i don't know jason kersey he's a he's a uh, law student now what's the is that too old yeah, I don't know. We'll have to put it on our Patreon. That doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> Good God! Uh, well, let's let's talk football, guys. What a difference a week makes, right? Um, we were right here exactly seven days ago talking about OU's win over Nebraska, one of Oklahoma's most dominant, uh, most complete all-around games in recent memory. Tulane knocked off K-State, Manhattan. I was feeling very confident going into Saturday, and then lo and behold, about ten thirty Saturday night. I walked out of that stadium. We got our ass handed to us by Adrian Martinez. So now we're hitting the pause button. We've got to seriously look at what happened now that the honeymoon phase is over. And let's just dive right into it, guys. OU falls to K-State 41-34. to I remember being laughed at last week uh, for taking K-State plus the points. Uh, that was, I think, what, my only win on the week? Uh, <laughs> yeah. So it's it's sad that, that that had to be my my one victory, but... You know, I don't know how much I believe myself that K-State would actually keep it close. I felt pretty good about it. But guys, came out flat, never really got off the ground, kept taking shots, hung in there, I, I guess, for a little bit, but could never really turn the corner, uh, even when the game, you know, got to 14-14, to then you give off a nice kick return uh, to K-State. I- I'm curious to, to hear how you guys felt. It sounded like the atmosphere was pretty great. Um, maybe have an announcer just causing false starts. Maybe that's the issue of this offense. All, t- all kinds of things we can dive into, but guys, it, it just it was like the game we've grown so familiar to watch over the past five years. I don't think, correct me if I'm wrong, did anybody believe this was a playoff team? You know, preseason, I'll have to go back and listen to our our, our previous podcast, but I don't think Adam did. Outside of Adam, I'm not sure how many teams really, how many people really thought this team was a true playoff contender. I think the win against Nebraska was fool's gold. We talked about it last week. Nebraska is a very, 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 very bad football team right now. It made us look better than we are. We were humbled. We'll see what happens to TCU next week. I still think there's a chance this team can make the playoffs. I mean, you look at the top three, Ohio State, Bama, Georgia, yeah, they're pretty much the best teams out there. But then you go beyond that, and like Clemson has issues. Uh, Michigan looked really good up until this Saturday when they played Maryland, and, and Tyler and I both took the loss on that pick. Um, USC struggled this weekend. So I, I just don't know who that fourth team is. And simply by nature of who's going to actually go up and grab that spot, OU's a contender until they're out, I think, in my opinion, and lose the second game. But I I think for this game, it was really disappointing. Like you mentioned, it felt like the Lincoln Riley era. And I thought we were done with that. I thought we were done with teams coming 
especially into Norman in our home stadium where the atmosphere was incredible. The fans were juiced. The fans were ready for this game and it was really loud in there. And then the team didn't show up behind that at all. Um, Absolutely outplayed by K-State. And I think it was pretty frustrating, especially after the game, because there wasn't really one thing that fans could put their, their finger on and say, that was the reason we lost. That's the one thing we need to go solve. And so when you ask people what went wrong, as we did on our Twitter after the game, you got responses that were all over the place. But for me, I think it does come down to this defense just didn't do the right job there. Well, and guys, I think that's what makes Saturday so frustrating for me is like I I didn't see this coming, which I guess, you know, that's me. Uh, maybe my expectations being a little bit inflated because of the performance against Nebraska the previous week because of how well this team has played uh, in firing on all cylinders. But just going into this game, you know, honoring the the Selmans beforehand, the statue um, celebration was phenomenal. The crowd was energized. It was a fantastic atmosphere. Adam was probably one of the best Big 12 conference game atmospheres I've seen in Norman in quite, in quite a long time, especially right there at the very beginning. But uh, it was just kind of one of those things where K-State took the ball. They won the toss, went right down the field, scored. OU came out slow once again for the, I guess, for the fourth consecutive week. And, uh, you know, lo and behold, they found themselves down 14 nothing. And once you get down two possessions to a team like Kansas State, they're licking their chops. That's how they want to play. They want to they want to dirty things up. They want to be able to take an early lead, then be able to control the clock, make you play from behind, play their style of football. And, you know, Oklahoma was able to claw their way back. They tied it up at 14 to 14. And then you give up a 50 plus yard kickoff return uh, to Kansas State and you lose all momentum. All the energy is sucked out of the stadium. Um, but you know, guys, th- that's five out of the last 11, three of the last four games Kansas State has won over Oklahoma in the in the past 11 seasons. So, you know, whether it was uh, Bill Snyder, Chris Kleiman, clearly the people up in, Ma- up in Manhattan have figured out uh, the the secret sauce and the recipe to to take on Oklahoma and, and play them consistently well year in and year out. But yeah, it was it was frustrating all the way around. Defense didn't. Pl- I felt like I was watching Alex Grinch and Mike Stoops coach defenses uh, throughout the entire four quarters of that game on Saturday. Offense got off to a slow start. Yes, we'll touch on Dylan Gabriel and the offense. I, I honestly think I came away from that game outside of the penalties. I think we've got a pretty good offense, and we'll touch on that here in a second. But the defense, it two steps forward, one step back. So why do you think Adrian Martinez was able to be so successful at Owen Field when he was – pretty bad the first three games for the Wildcats well I think that's probably the biggest question mark and that's the reason why I walked out of the stadium on Saturday night so frustrated I mean Adrian Martinez had a combined 306 passing yards in the first three games and then he comes to Owen Field and goes for over 500 total yards uh and looks like the Heisman Trophy front runner uh, going into week five so um, you know, miss tackle, uh, miss tackles. Um, you know, OU being out physical and on the line of scrimmage. Our front seven was abysmal outside of Jalen Redmond. I know that Danny Stutzman had ten tackles. I know that David Aguebu had fifteen tackles. But from start to finish, we were, we were not the. I, I guess you you could say the alpha team in this matchup. We got pushed around from the first snap all the way until the final whistle blew. Uh, but like I said, the, the missed tackles, you know, uh, losing leverage, not being lined up properly, you know, us having three defenders on this side of the football, whereas K-State has got four and five guys out there ready to block. So Oklahoma always falling behind the chains as well. 
uh, Kansas State being able to pick up five, six, seven yards on first down. When you're going to get against a Chris Kleiman-led offense that's got the playmakers in Adrian Martinez and Deuce Vaughn, if you're finding yourself in second and three, third and two, that is not a good recipe for success. I don't care how talented you are on defense. So it's just another loss, Adam, where we make the opposing team's quarterback, no matter who it is, look like the best quarterback in America on that given Saturday. Yeah, we got some good Twitter responses. Make sure to follow us on there at the Mainline Pod because we were asking everyone, hey, what, what would be one thing that you change going into the TCU game? Uh, I like this response from uh, at Markaduck. He said, tackling instead of stripping the ball turned a lot of mid gains into long gains on Saturday. And that was something that we hadn't seen through the first three weeks of the season. Um, like we mentioned after the UTEP game, we saw constantly one guy coming in low, the other guy coming in high, gang tackling, lots of flowing to the ball. This time we had one, two, three guys sometimes coming in, trying to grab at the ball. No one trying to get the ball carrier actually down and K-State picking up you know, extra yards after contact. And I think a lot of that was the secondary was often the first guys to get to the ball carry in certain situations, that front seven, not doing their job at all there. And when the secondary comes in, those guys are not necessarily the ones that want to make tackles. They want to get those interceptions and and kind of finish things off. They don't want to be the initial contact. And so um, the, the technique was flawed there and it really, really stung on Saturday. As far as like a strategic aspect of this defense, Brent Venables runs a lot of zone coverage and that's to be expected. And usually that is what you want to go with when you have a mobile quarterback, because you want to be able to keep your eyes focused on him when he does scramble. I kind of wonder if maybe mixing in some man coverage with a spy might've been more effective. Uh, You probably lose some defenders in that scenario uh, that could be covering and helping with the pass. But Mm -hmm. I think you had to say, Hey, Martinez, you're going to have to, to throw an absolute tight windows because he was nailing everything that was between the linebackers and the safeties. How often did we see those 15, 20 yard passes that he kind of just blooped right over the linebackers. And then it was an easy pass for him. And uh, we didn't really make him throw those really hard passes that I don't think he can. And I don't think he will for the rest of the year. And I feel like this is his best game. It's high watermark. And we're going to be kicking ourselves all year watching him lose to Texas Tech and whoever else is on the schedule for him. I'd be curious, Adam, because QB spy sounds great in theory. I also watched him outrun David Aguebu multiple times, Deshaun White multiple times. So who is the spy that's going to be able to keep up with him? Because the only thing I could think of sitting there watching our defense last week is like we look like Nebraska from the week before where it's like, how slow are we? And I don't think Adrian Martinez is that fast of a guy. Clearly, like he's got some speed to him, maybe more so than I originally Mm -hmm. thought. But he's outrunning linebackers like they're linemen. That can't happen. That seems impossible for a place like Oklahoma for linebackers not to keep up with somewhat mobile quarterbacks. And he did it time and time again. And going back to your point, Tyler, great. We got him behind the sticks at third and 16, then the game, and they break off to 55-yard runs. So it, 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 was, it was a mess. I don't necessarily think the defense was called poorly, but man, was it executed poorly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, execution uh, – you know, Jeff Levy's talked about it time and time again. You know, if you listen to Ted Roof, if you listen to Brent Venables, you know, they all want to have calls back. But at the end of the day, you've got to go out there and execute. Uh, there's only so many things that the coaches can do to help you. But when the ball is snapped, it's on you as a player to go out there and make something happen. But, you know, Adam, you talked about the discrepancies between playing uh, man-to-man coverage, playing zone. OU is in that uh, third and 16 with the chance to get off the field, get the ball back which, you know, Oklahoma had all the momentum. And I think that, you know, a lot of fans inside that stadium that were left 
uh, felt confident that if, if OU was able to get the ball back, they were probably going to go down there and at least have a chance to throw it into the end zone to tie the game. But um, running man-to-man, I, I was listening to uh, – if you guys haven't had a chance to kind of go back and look at it, um, Keegan Renault does a really good film review, uh, kind of a post-game breakdown, um, some schematics of what Oklahoma and Kansas State were doing on both sides of the football. And there, were, it was time and time again, OU was simply out-leveraged with what they were trying to do defensively, particularly in the run game, in the front seven, where – um, you know, when Kansas State was in 12 personnel where they've got they've got Deuce Vaughn in the backfield, they've got two tight ends on the line of scrimmage, you would you would be able to – Keegan actually did this. He split the field right down the middle. Oh, you would have three defenders on the left side of the football. Kansas State would have four to five blockers, five if you include Deuce Vaughn out there lead blocking for Adrian Martinez. So Oklahoma's failure to make those adjustments, you know, in their scheme and the way that they line up to the football harmed this team all night. And third and 16, the 55 yard run, that was just kind of, that, that was just a culmination of how the entire night went, giving up a run like that. So um, let's talk a little bit about the offense before we kind of go into what we well, would do if we. Hold or, on, go hold ahead. On. Adam. Should, we, should we talk about linebacker changes here? That's one change that I'm seriously considering. Yeah. That's my one change that I'd want to make. If we want to touch on that right now, we can. Yeah, let's go ahead. Let's actually do it since we're already on the subject of defense and we can then pair offense at the end of offense, but a a defensive change. And there was an interesting quote. I don't remember. I think it was after the game. It might have been on Sunday or I'm not sure when Brent Venable said this, but Mm -hmm. I'll paraphrase a little bit where he essentially said we kind of played on our heels like we were scared of mistakes. And I think there is a player that is not starting right now that is not afraid to make mistakes and can often make up for his mistakes with his athleticism, and that's Jaron Kanick. And he really didn't get – I don't know if he even got any snaps at all on defense. I don't know, know that I noticed him out there. Zero. Yeah. But he's certainly a guy that could play at that cheetah position or maybe take David Aguebu's position. And the speed was lacking from David Mm -hmm. Aguebu and the TCU offense gets way faster, way, way, (laughs) way faster than this case state offense. So could he be a guy that comes in and plays on Saturday? You know, guys, we're not experts by any means, but I feel like we know the game of football pretty well. And I think that my biggest thing, and this goes back to any team over the last five or six years, I want our best athletes on the field on the defensive side of the football. I don't care how good your coaching is. At the end of the day, it's the Jimmys and the Joes, not the X's and the O's when you go out there and compete on Saturdays. So point number one for me, Key Lawrence needs to be your starting safety uh, opposite of Billy Bowman. I, I think it was uh, Bob Prisbillo tweeted it out. Broyles and Key Lawrence combined for all 85 snaps against Kansas State. Broyles had 51. Key Lawrence had 34. I don't care how well you're practicing during the week. Justin Broyles, as an athlete, I know he's done tremendous things for for this school uh, as a player at the University of Oklahoma. Key Lawrence is a superior athlete. He's the bigger body. When you're going against a more physical, you know, predominantly running team against Kansas State, you want to have Key Lawrence out there opposed to Justin Broyles. So uh, Justin Harrington needs to find a way to get onto the field. This is a big one for me, and guys, I'm sorry. Jaron Kanick needs to be on the field. I don't care if he's a true freshman. I don't care if he's quote-unquote has no idea what he's doing right now. He is the best all-around athlete on this defense. You can just tell the guy is different when he's out there. I'd do whatever I had to do to get number seven on the field, move to Sean White to inside backer, put Kanick at the cheetah position. We, cupcake season is over, guys. There's not a UTEP. There's not a Kent State. There's no longer a Nebraska 
that, that's left on the schedule. We can win every game that's left on the schedule. We could also lose every game that's on the remainder of the regular season schedule. So uh, the Big 12 is that competitive from top to bottom. So my change, Key Lawrence and Billy Bowman are your two safeties. Get Jaron Canick on the field when we trot out against TCU on, on Saturday. We've talked about Justin Burroughs a lot over the past, probably even before this podcast began. Why is he on the field? What is it? Tyler, I would agree with you with every point, except this is now two different coaching staffs that have put him on the field as the starter. Why? There has to be something that we don't know that continues to put him out there in a starting role. And if it if it had drastically changed from Lincoln to obviously Venables, then I'd be like, ah, Lincoln didn't know what he was talking about. Grinch didn't know what he was talking about. But now Venables has him as the starter. So I don't know if it is a uh, uh, an injury issue with Key. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he was on the snap count last weekend. I've heard rumors of that as well. But there's something there that clearly the three of us aren't smart enough to recognize for the reason Justin Burroughs continues to be put out there for many, many snaps. Well, and I think that's the biggest thing, Corbin, is what is Justin Broyles doing Monday through through Friday afternoon that Key Lawrence and Justin Harrington are not doing? What is he doing in practice, in the meeting rooms, in the classroom that is allowing him to get the bulk of those snaps compared to those two you know, more athletic, superiorly talented guys? Mm. I, I don't know. Because, because, guys, you know, now that we're into Big 12 play, some of the offenses that we're about to see starting with this weekend. You got Quentin Johnson coming up this weekend. You got Darius Davis. You can't tell me that offensive coordinators on these opposing teams aren't going to be looking at that Oklahoma secondary just like LSU did in 2019. Where's the weak spot? I know that you've done a lot of really, really good things. I know that this kid is a captain. He's a leader of this football team. But teams are going to continue to exploit that matchup. Xavier Worthy, Quentin Johnson. Uh, Oklahoma State's got some guys. Baylor's got some guys. Xavier Hutchinson at Iowa State. You got to be able to put some guys out there that can match what those guys are doing offensively. And I hope that that changes on Saturday. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly with that. Justin Harrington, another name that we haven't heard or seen very much of in the last two games, but certainly a faster player than Deshaun White. Looks physically bigger than Deshaun White. I White's played great against Nebraska. So I think he's earned some more playing time, but he played yeah, well against like Kansas be, state. I yeah, think I would, I would just like played to well see more Kansas state. Yeah. I would, I would just like to see more overall speed on this defense because I think that can make up for some of the errors that happened on Saturday and um, Canick, you know, he's so athletic. He's, he's so fast that like he'll make mistakes. And like, there's a key example of this. I don't remember which game it was where he rushed in, um, got chopped blocked, essentially fell on the ground and then popped right back up and, sack the quarterback like that's how good he is it's like he probably could have rushed differently and avoided that block and just got mm-hmm. the sack anyway but he was so good he could make up for his own mistakes so i agree with with that change now on the well, just other, so i'm clear adam you're asking for speed d am i am i understanding that correctly with the uh interesting looking <laughs> logo i would like the speed d back <laughs> usc having a ton of success on defense that doesn't seem sustainable with all those turnovers i just wonder like where was that when we were in norman because the players are not markedly better. Um, if anything, are they better athletes? Maybe That's it just works thing. in the Pac-12. Yeah, it's I mean, it's not not the same competition. Yeah, offensively, I thought offense was pretty good. I don't think offense was the reason we lost, but Corbin, I think you probably still have some strong thoughts that carry over from last week's discussion. I do it's, it's I'm the ready elite for this. Throw. It's it's the elite throws, guys. Um, it really is when 
Because you can look back and you say, great, offense scored enough to win this game. Defense was the letdown. That's fine. Mm -hmm. But in today's college football, you're going to have games that turn into a shootout. You're going to. That's just part of it. Even going back to Clemson and Alabama, when they had the the rivalry of playing you know, back and forth for national championships, those games got into the 30s, 40s, and beyond. So you're going to have games where it's going to be on Dylan Dylan's shoulders to go win you some. And when you miss throws like you did it with Drake Stoops, he's wide open and you miss him by five to 10 yards. Um, there's a window there late in the game where um, uh, Mims is near the sideline. There's a window there to make that throw and he mm-hmm. overthrows him. There are some throws there that, and part of this I want to take with a grain of salt because you can't compare Dylan to what we had with Kyler and Baker. He's not a number one overall pick. Those are once in, I guess, twice in a generation player. Um, but man, there's opportunities there for this game to still be won, regardless of the flags, how much the defense gave up, all of that in between. If he can make a few of these really big throws that we need him to make on paper, great game. If you didn't watch it, you're like, Gabriel wasn't the problem. And I don't think he's the reason for the loss. But when you need a quarterback to step up and make some big time throws, especially to guys that are wide open, you got to make them. And he didn't make them on Saturday. Dylan Gabriel was 26 of 39 for 330 passing yards, four touchdowns. He also had 66 yards rushing on the ground. Dylan Gabriel is not the reason Oklahoma lost his football game on Saturday night. Far from it. You don't lead an offense to over 550 total yards, zero turnovers, 34 points, and point the finger at the quarterback. This one is on the defense. I think we're all pretty clear on that. But I do want to make this point, and this kind of echoes what you've been talking about, Corbin, for the last few weeks. We've been hearing since UTEP that Dylan Gabriel, well, he's not Baker Mayfield. He's not Kyler. He's not Jalen Hurts. We know that. He's still a really, really good quarterback, and he's played well enough for this team to be 4-0. But just because he isn't those three previous guys doesn't mean he shouldn't be held to the same standard as every quarterback that's played at, at the University of Oklahoma for the last 20 years. So quarterbacks know that when they sign on the dotted line under the underneath the interlocking O&U, it's one thing to miss a throw over the middle and when you're trying to fit it into a tight window. Um, that's football. That's going to happen. But you can't miss that pass to Drake Stoops. Drake, that's probably the best route that Drake Stoops has ever ran in his life. You go back on the All-22, you watch that over and over again, that's probably going to be saved and showed to high school kids on, on how to run routes. It was that good. You can't miss Drake Stoops on that. You can't miss Marvin Mims late in the game where he's sitting in the perfect zone, I think K-State was in cover two. He was sitting in that perfect zone in between the corner and the safety. And then the biggest one for me, the fourth and four, Drake Stoops runs a simple out route, and Dylan Gabriel can't put it on him. It was an inaccurate yeah. throw out wide. We all know that, you know, we all know this. Dylan knows this. Dylan's going to keep getting better. I believe that, and this team's going to keep getting better. But, you know, even though he's not the Heisman Trophy quarterback, like what we've seen over the last five years, He's still good enough to make those throws. And we'll see, I think, as time goes on, he'll get better and he'll get a little bit more consistent with that. I think the perfect way to put it is Dylan Gabriel did not lose this game, but he missed the opportunity to win it. Oh, you could have scored at least 14 to 17 more points, I think. Yep. Yeah, and there were really the, just those three throws because I went back and watched every pass he threw earlier this afternoon, and those those three throws, the two to Stoops and the yeah. one to Mims. The one to Mims was a really tough throw because he had to fit it right between the linebacker and the safety yeah. there, and it was just a little bit high. If it had been about four inches lower, he probably would have gotten it. But 
Um, he, yeah, it was every, it was the critical nature of those passes. It wasn't on yes. second and 10. It was third and 10 or fourth down that those throws came. And so they're very memorable. I think mm-hmm. overall, though, this was probably Dylan Gabriel's best game of the year, considering the competition as well. Mm-hmm. And on paper, he does look really good. If you just you know progress out his stats for the rest of the year, even if I'm doing a little math here, but if I said, hey, he took a 10% production hit for the rest of the season going against Big 12 conference play, that's still about mm-hmm. 3,900 yards, 40 touchdowns, 450 yards rushing, seven touchdowns on the ground. Like That is really great numbers. That's I mean, if OU was in the playoff hunt, that's potentially New York invite uh, material Mm -hmm. there. But the team cannot put him in a position where he has to go out and and win the game for you. I think he can win the game for you, but it's not like 2017 or 2018 where the defense is just trash and you know he has to shoulder that load. Like he just, there's enough talent on defense that he should not have to shoulder that type Mm -hmm. of responsibility. So I don't, I don't know what good it does really to continue to say like, yeah, he's not the guy or he's not Baker Mayfield. Like we all know that he is what he is and there's nothing behind him to push him out of that role. He's, mm-hmm. he's more than good enough. It's just, Hey, the defense has to be better. That, that deep ball touchdown pass that he threw to Marvin Mims. I don't know if it was just from where I was sitting. That was probably one of the prettiest deep balls that yeah. I've ever seen hit Marvin right in stride place went nuts. But I think that one of the things that sometimes gets Dylan in trouble and, you know, Jeff Levy's talked about this. Dylan's even talked about this. I think that a lot of times, whether it's he's under pressure, he gets happy feet. He kind of feels like every throw he has to make has to be the 98 mile an hour fastball. And I think that there's a lot of times, whether it's, you know, depending on what the route is that he's trying to fit the ball, that he's trying to get to the receiver, Sometimes touch is the best is the best medicine. Um, but, you know, guys talking about this offense and, you know, penalties aside, especially for the offensive line, I thought that this was the offense's best performance of the season against the best defense that they faced in the first four weeks of the year. Kansas State, guys, is a very good defense. Top 15 to 20 in all statistical categories across the board. And Oklahoma moved the ball at will. On Saturday night, this is Oklahoma could have easily probably gotten to 50 if they wouldn't have shot themselves in the foot, gotten in their own way. You know, it kind of felt like at at least four to five times as soon as we crossed the 50 yard line, boom, false start, boom, false start, delay a game, you know, illegal procedure. And when you're playing a team in Kansas State and Oklahoma's running the ball as well as they are, averaging six and a half yards a carry, that's a huge difference in going from, you know, first and 10 to first and 20. That puts you behind the chain. So, I think that there is a lot that Oklahoma is going to be able to build upon, especially going into this weekend against TCU that is, which we'll get to in a second, is not as stout as Kansas State was in Norman uh, you know, three days ago. So I think that there's a lot to build upon. And guys, I'm the sky is not falling, in my opinion. We'll see how it goes this weekend. We'll see how it goes against Texas. But yes, this was a bad loss because... It was extremely frustrating. We did not see this coming, especially on the defensive side of the football, the shortcomings that they dealt with. But I think that Oklahoma is in in a really good position. Um, It's just a matter of can they get back on track, forget the loss, move on to TCU, and go down to Fort Worth and start to build some more momentum before we go to the Cotton Bowl. Tyler, you sent something in the group chat uh, about the players showing up at four o'clock in the morning to uh, to clean the dumbbells. I haven't heard anything about that. Do we know what that was all about? Somebody, again, I based on what the avatar was, I'm pretty. I think it was Daniel Parker that it posted a picture on his Instagram story, and it was of the players cleaning the dumbbell rack 
uh, inside the Switzer Center at like two or three in the morning. So I don't know if that's a discipline uh, issue because the team lost or what's going on, or even if that's an old photo. Um, but that was just something that showed up on Twitter in the early, you know, early Sunday morning hours. I loved, and if that is true, that's fantastic. Yeah, I love Brent Venable's quote from his press conference earlier today, and we tweeted it out, and I'll paraphrase slightly, but he said, uh, you know, discipline is the main focus and practicing the little things over and over and over and over again until it's impossible to get it wrong. And uh, we got some, we got a good response on Twitter from uh, Shinzo Abe Lincoln, which I guess is a nod to both the former president of the United States and the former prime minister of Japan. Uh, he said discipline on offense is the one thing that he would change, uh, specifically that the offense was so consistent until they got that penalty. And then you're knocked back 15 and 20 yards on first down. And we saw that several times where OU would get to about midfield, right past it, there'd be a penalty. Um, and then we'd go away from Eric Gray for some reason on first and long. And I, I don't understand that. And, you know, you can blame the announcer, you know, for the one false start, but there were multiple other false starts. There were holding calls. There were so many things that put OU behind the chains to where they just weren't effective at that point. And uh, can't have that uh, going forward, especially when you're at home. You can't have that many penalties. You know, Corbin, um, from our days uh, working in marketing, I know, especially for me as an intern, there were a handful of occasions, especially on the basketball game, where I was kind of like the assistant had to sit next to the PA guy. And as everybody knows, if you've been to football and basketball games, the same guy that does the PA system for OU men's basketball is the same one that does it at OU football games. So here I am looking at all the message boards, all the drama on Twitter on Sunday afternoon. I'm thinking, oh my God, the OU fan base is going after Jim Miller. Poor guy. I uh, hate it for Jim, but uh, it's it's it kind of feels like it's the same thing after every OU loss. All the crazies come out. You've got to deal with the overreaction. And that's kind of one of my favorite things about the podcast that we do here is, you know, sometimes it is good. We want to do a post-game podcast, but it's also kind of refreshing to let it simmer a couple of days. Uh, and so, you know, we have a chance to go back and rewatch it, gather our thoughts and put some stuff together. And Adam, one last point, I'll turn it over to you guys for our next segment. I can't tell you how good and refreshing it was to hear the head coach step up to the microphone in the post game and not give us the coach speak run around. Well, we're close. We're going to get it going. Just bear with us. Give us a little bit more time. We're close. It was, I'm pissed off. I know we played horribly on defense. We got outplayed. We weren't the most physical team, but we're going to own it. We're going to go back to the drawing board. We're going to continue to work. We're going to embrace the strain, and we're going to get better, and we'll see what that looks like in Fort Worth on Saturday. Last thing before we talk about uh, the TCU game, does this loss change your expectations for the rest of the year? Yes. <laughs> okay. I did not by any I did not by any means think that this was going to be a playoff team. I thought that from a roster standpoint and early reactions to what I thought that the the Big 12 was going to look like in the preseason, I thought that this was a 10 and 2, maybe a best case scenario an 11 and 1 type football team, but there's some there's some possibilities here with if the defense is not figured out. And I, I think that we can all agree that, you know, Oklahoma is probably not going to put up another defensive performance like what we saw uh, this past Saturday night against Kansas State. But there's some 
possibilities out there when you see what Baylor's doing and the brand of physicality of football that they like to play. That blueprint is out there now for them to use. You look at TCU this weekend with their skill talent. You got Texas. You got Oklahoma State. You've got the trip to Ames. You've got to go to Morgantown against JT Daniels, which they've kind of gotten off the mat the last couple of weeks and played some really good football, even though I know it was against Virginia Tech. But I I think that this is probably a nine and three football team right now, if I had to guess. So yes, my my expectations are adjustment. It's not. It's no longer a shoe in that this is going to be a uh, one of the top two seeds in the Big Twelve going to Arlington. My preseason expectations are right on point. After Nebraska, my expectations have shifted, um, and and that's the classic. That's the that's the fan in me speaking, right? Where Nebraska was high, we did what we were supposed to do to a really bad team. This is what we've been waiting for for years, and now we're kind of tumbling back to earth. I predicted two losses uh, for this team before the season started. I still think Texas is a loss. I think this team has all the really? potential in the world. I, st- I still do, yeah. Um, I think this team has all the potential in the world to be in Dallas for the Big 12 championship. I still expect them to do so. Does Ewers I'm holding. Play... Or, sorry, Adam, go ahead. Ewers might play this week against West Virginia. Uh, but I'm holding to my 11-1 and prediction for now. The loss comes so early in the season. I, you know, I thought OU would have a loss at some point just because it's so hard to go undefeated in college football. It comes really early, so obviously there's a lot more opportunities for this team to lose going forward, and maybe I'll prove wrong. I would like to see them come out against TCU and look more like the team against Nebraska and the, the first three games. I, I feel like there's enough you know, different with this staff that some of that can be changed. There's enough talent that we shouldn't be just pushed around all the time in these shootout games, giving up you know, big scores to offenses that don't do that in the rest of the year. So I feel like there's enough there that I'm still, I'm still on the bandwagon. I'm not jumping off just yet. And I also had Texas as a loss at the beginning of the year. I may still end up predicting that just because you know, reverse jinx it. And mm-hmm. Texas always plays out of their mind against us. I, um, I don't know if that makes sense to say I'm still on the bandwagon while predicting a loss, maybe here in a, another week and a half, but um, I'm sticking to it for the moment. I do want to say this was something that, again, I'm not going to, you know, say which player or players talked about it in the post game on Saturday night. I was honestly kind of surprised um, that uh, the wording and the way in which they said this because of the the change and the shift in the culture of what Brent Venables is trying to do here. But we heard a couple of players in the post game talk about how this was the wake up call that we needed. Guys, I'm so sick and tired of OU football teams over the last five, 10, 15, or maybe even 20 years, always having to talk about, well, okay, we got beat. This is what we needed. Now we're going to suddenly, you know, we're going to play better. We're going to start taking things a little bit more seriously. Like why does it always take a surprise loss to a double digit underdog to get you to say, okay, this, you know, we've, we've got to wake up. We've got to get off the mat. We've got to start taking things a little bit more seriously. I'm just so tired of hearing that time and time again, year after year. Totally off, off topic, but still. Definitely think this team doesn't need a wake up call. I thought the team was bought into the culture of Brent Venables, but we'll see for sure what that looks like this weekend in Fort Worth against TCU. Tyler, I know this was the game you were most concerned about coming into the year. You predicted this as one of OU's losses, but what makes you so nervous about the Horn Frogs? 
I think it's the explosiveness the, that their offense presents. And if there's anything that what we've seen over the past few years, and especially from this last week, uh, TCU has not just superior skill talent out on the perimeter, but they've also got a mobile quarterback that is dangerous when he gets outside the pocket. So Oklahoma is going to have to make some adjustments uh, when dealing with a mobile quarterback. But guys, starting when TCU has the football um averaging 46 points a game throughout the first four weeks of the season, 500 total yards of offense, uh, just north of 215 yards rushing. And, guys, a big stat to me, and this was something that OU struggled with against the Wildcats on Saturday night, TCU's uh, converting on third downs at a rate of 50%. So that's going to be a big statistic that I'm going to be watching for on Saturday. If Oklahoma wants to get out of Fort Worth with a win – this weekend you've got to get off the field on on third down so very very explosive they do a lot of things in 11 and 12 personnel um the tight end jared wiley uh they like to do a lot of things with him particularly in the red zone he's got a touchdown in back-to-back weeks against tarleton and smu um but very very explosive i believe against uh, smu this past weekend they had seven plays over 40 yards so we've been waiting for a quarterback to be able to test this oklahoma secondary you're going to get that you're going to get it with this uh, with quarterback Max Duggan, who's completing 77% uh, of his passes. Not the craziest numbers in the world, just a little over 230 yards per game, but eight touchdowns, zero interceptions, being very smart and clean with the football. And, guys, I think that the, the running back position for TCU, I think that this is going to be a really nice tune-up for what Oklahoma's going to see next weekend in the Cotton Bowl against B. John Robinson and Roshan Johnson. TC, TCU's got kind of a, a two-headed monster of Kendra Miller uh, and Amari DiMercato. Uh, Kendra Miller's kind of the speedster out of the group, uh, averaging just a little over 80 yards per game. He's got five touchdowns on the year, over six yards of carry. And then once you get down into the red zone, Dean Mercado, he's got three touchdowns this year. That's kind of their more bruising physical back. Oklahoma's going to have to show up ready uh, to, to play on, on Saturday. And, guys, this is my biggest thing that I'm going to be watching out for. When TCU has the football, like I said, a lot of 11 personnel, 12, they like to go five wide, spread you out, and you know utilize all 50-plus yards of space sideline to sideline. How's Oklahoma going to hold up, particularly in the middle of the field, in the back end of this defense? We all know about Quentin Johnson, uh, the wide receiver. He's one of the best receivers in America. He's kind of been kept in check over the first three games of this season. He's got just eight catches for 73 yards and is yet to find the end zone. So Oklahoma's going to have to pay close attention to him. But the biggest thing for me is five foot ten, 170-pound wide receiver Darius Davis Probably the fastest guy that Oklahoma is going to face all season long. Speedster for the Horn Frogs. He had an 80-yard jet sweep touchdown last week. He's also a huge impact player on special teams. I believe he's got both a kick return touchdown and a punt return touchdown for TCU this year. Oklahoma is going to have to know where Darius Davis is at all times on the field. And this, it does not get any easier. Oklahoma struggled uh, giving up 41 points against K-State a week ago. It does not get any easier this weekend against TCU on the road. Tyler, I think you mentioned something pretty interesting there with Duggan, 77% completion percentage on the year. Again, the number doesn't stick off the page looking at that alone. What it does do, though, is that is 13% higher than any year he's had so far at TCU. And Duggan's given us some problems in the past. So we're facing the best Max Duggan so far in his entire career. So it'll be really interesting. Uh, I think you mentioned eight touchdowns, zero interceptions. Can this secondary force him into mistakes unlike they did Martinez last weekend? Do you guys know who the TCU offensive coordinator is? It's Garrett Riley. So let's hope that that uh, rubs off on the TCU defense. But 
Yeah, TCU stats, really good. Um, you know, high yards per carry, so many guys touching the ball, tons of speed across the board. Darius Davis is blazing fast. Yeah. Um, I watched a lot of that Iron Skillet game uh, this past Saturday. And uh, TCU probably played one of the softest schedules so far. They played the worst mm-hmm. Power 5 team in Colorado. Uh, they played Tarleton They're State. Bad. That's not uh, a good <laughs> FCS team there. SMU, a good team but their defense is Charmin soft. Like TCU was just running 10 yards up the middle before they saw contact and they were just out running them to the sidelines left and right as well. When I was watching that game, this was before OU had played that Saturday. I looked at that and I said, they're not going to be able to run sideline to sideline on a speedier OU defense. And maybe that will be true, but now I'm really scared because if David Aguebu rolls out there, I don't want to keep throwing the guy under the bus, but He's going to have to change his angles and his pursuit of attack there because it's not going to work against this TCU team. They have way too much speed uh, for for him to take those types of angles he took against the Wildcats. And um, we're going to see if those adjustments and those techniques really make a difference there because uh, TCU's got the ability to just burn uh, any defense Mm -hmm. they play. They've got so much speed there. But then at the same time, I have to constantly go back and go, they haven't played anybody that's really that good. SMU is probably the best defense, and I think they're mm-hmm. probably a terrible defense. So I, I don't know. You know, Corbin, you had a chance to to watch a good bit of TCU against Colorado a couple weeks ago. You know, Adam, as you just alluded to, you watched most of that game against SMU over the weekend. I, I thought that one thing that was interesting going back to the uh, the huddle last night, the, the show that Toby Rowland does with Gabe Eichert at, at Rudy's, Gabe Eicher talked about the weakness of this TCU football team is their offensive line. And again, Gabe, NFL player, he's played center at the highest level in college football. I'm very curious to see in this matchup because I don't necessarily see that offensive line as being a huge a huge liability, uh, something that Max Duggan is going to have to overcome. Yes, this will be the best competition, the best defense uh, that TCU has played up to this point. If Oklahoma is going to win on Saturday, they have to dominate the line of scrimmage. Uh, you've mm-hmm. Reggie Grimes, Ethan Downs. You can't you can't show up at Fort Worth on Saturday and only put up one combined tackle. No quarterback hurries. You've got to be, you've got to uh, be a difference maker on the perimeter for this guys and get after Max Duggan. And guys, when Oklahoma has the football, I think that OU has a chance to blow this game wide open offensively. We talked about OU is continuing to build outside of the penalties. They're continuing to put good performances together in back-to-back weeks in the offensive line group uh, room with Bill Beanbow's guys. TCU's given up just over 21 points per game against a super soft schedule up to this point. Uh, they're giving up over 100 yards rushing a game. TCU is dead last in the Big 12 Conference, uh, giving up uh, 275 passing yards a game. And where I think Oklahoma is going to have a chance to really blow this game wide open, OU is going to be able to run the football on these guys. This is the same concept that we've seen from Iowa State over the last five or six years. TCU is going to line up in the 3-3-5 defense, try to keep everything in front of you. TCU's defensive line has just five sacks on the year through the first four weeks of the season. That, again, is dead last in the Big 12. So Bill Beanbow, Marcus Major, Eric Gray, run the football this weekend uh, and uh, kind of put this game out of reach because TCU's defensive line, Oklahoma should have their way with them on Saturday. Very quietly, one of the best storylines coming out of that K-State game was only one sack on Dylan Gabriel. It was a play where he probably held on the ball a little bit longer, but still shouldn't have gotten the pressure. But regardless, you had one of the best pass rushers in the Big 12 and Felix Anudike Uzoma. And really, there wasn't a whole lot of pressure on Dylan Gabriel. So 
I'd love to see that continue. TCU, I, I don't really know, you know, what they have. They don't have a lot of guys that have tons of sack numbers necessarily at this point. They've only played three games, so one fewer than most other teams. But I don't think Gary Patterson necessarily left the cupboard, you know, full of absolute dudes there. Their best guy transferred to Nebraska, no Sean Mathis. So um, I think if OU offensive line, whether it's running the ball or pass protection, can continue to take another step forward, I think there's still some concerns about maybe the personnel and who they're running out there. But continue to make a step forward and be dominant against a team that they should be able to be dominant against and take pressure off your defense by getting on the board often and early. Early is key. I mean, we, we've seen it for the past few weeks. This offense starts slow. And um, against Nebraska and K-State, they're both, and I and believe Kent State as well. Kent State had the lead early, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly. So for the Seven past to three, three games, yeah, the past three games, this offense has been playing from behind early in the game. Why do that to yourself, right? This yeah. offense is good enough to go out there and score on the first, second, third drives, and we just haven't seen it. Does that change this week? And I think a big key of that, going back to what both of you all said, is running the football. It was almost like watching clockwork with the K-State beginning and the Nebraska beginning where they could not run the ball early in the game. I think Nebraska, they tried to throw a little bit more early on, but from the second that first uh, play was snapped against K-State, I think it was an immediate (laughs) tackle for a loss in the run game. And granted, they ended up with 220 yards on the ground, and that's great, but visually, it didn't look as good as it should have. Yeah, I think in the first quarter on Saturday, we didn't get our first carry from a running back until about four minutes left in the first quarter, which might have been OU's third drive at that point. And that's just not acceptable, in my opinion. You have to establish the run early. And I think, especially with what happened on Saturday, where you're already down 7 nothing before you get the ball after a long drive from the K-State offense, you have to run a little bit more clock. You can't just be running at NASCAR speed, go three and out. And then all of a sudden your defense is back out there. You have to establish more of, hey, we're going to be on the field a little bit longer. And then we can go fast after we get that first first down, maybe, or the second first down. Um, But you just can't be blazing off the field (laughs) because uh, you go three and out that quickly. Um, That really hurts your defense and puts you in a Mm -hmm. bad perspective or a bad position where you get in that hole so early, then you have to claw Mm -hmm. your way back the entire game, especially against a team like K-State, very different than TCU. But you're just not going to claw your way back probably against a team that's so disciplined. I think Levy did try to establish the run early last weekend against K-State. I genuinely do. And it wasn't there. The offensive line was not making any holes for Eric Gray, for Marcus Major. It was more (laughs) mid-game, late-game where the offensive line started to actually have things open up. I think he tried, and it didn't work. Adam, when you don't get a carry to your running back until four minutes left in the first quarter, like... Adam, I think I'm... You're starting really late. I think I'll. I think we'd have to go back and look at that. Was the first play of the game to Eric Gray running? I was just. I was just about to say because I texted you guys in the group chat right after, and I'm almost positive that was the play that Andrew Rame got put on the ground, like the nose tackle just just whipped him and and got across Andrew Rame's face and made the play behind the line of scrimmage. I'll go back and look at that, but uh, you guys make a really good point. I mean, Oklahoma needs to be able to win the line of scrimmage, be the more dominant physical football team on Saturday, um, run the football. Stop the running game for TCU. Oklahoma will walk out of Fort Worth on Saturday with a win. Yeah. Touching base here. Uh, first and 10, OU 25. First possession, first play. Eric Gray run for no yard to the OU 25. Uh, two plays later, uh, Eric Gray run for four yards to the Oklahoma 40. Uh, next possession, Eric Gray run for two yards to the Oklahoma 13. Um, so out of those first two possessions w- was a combined – 
one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight plays. Eric Gray got three touches in the running game. I must have been way off, or maybe I saw like a lateral pass that, uh, or something, but I don't know. It felt like there was a long gap at the beginning of the game where Dylan Gabriel, I think, had a QB draw, and there was like some swing passes to the running back. So mm-hmm. there was a gap in there somewhere where it just felt like they sure. went away from just the traditional running game. Well, and plus, Adam, earlier today, you went back and just watched all the pass plays. So, I mean, (laughs) yeah, yeah. I'm not saying that as a slide. I'm saying like you you weren't (laughs) watching any of the running game. So, yeah, Um, let's move on here. Let's uh, let's do some drawing conclusions. Yeah, let's draw some conclusions looking around. uh, I guess we're just looking at the Big 12 this evening. uh, Some of the more notable storylines. We got a quick buy or sell as our first one. Neither OU or Texas will play in the Big 12 championship. You guys buying or selling? Sell. (laughs) <laughs> it's it's closer so you than think, I thought. Are you? I think I'm one selling of them will it. Be in the Big one of them, championship. Okay. okay. Yeah, I I think probably it's a better better chance that Oklahoma is um, than Texas right now. I think that Texas has got some more serious problems than OU does right now. I'll see how they. Uh, we'll see how Texas comes out this weekend against West Virginia. That's one of the things I was asking you guys about Quinn Ewers. You know, it kind of feels like they've been they were saving him for Red River to come back and play against OU. I'm not sure. With the way the Texas defense has been playing, and with JT Daniels and that Mountaineer offense kind of finding some life, I don't know if you can afford to to keep Quinn Ewers on the bench for one more week. You've got to win this game because, I mean, Sarkeesian, you start out two and three, zero oh and two in Big Twelve Conference play. You got to go play OU next weekend. Oh, and then by the way, uh, you still have Iowa State road trips to Stillwater and Manhattan uh, and to Lawrence, which is no layup as well, especially for that program. So and Baylor and Baylor, so. Yep. If they lose this weekend, I, do you keep him just for Arch? I don't know. But I think Oklahoma, I'm not selling it because of OU. I'm selling as well. I just think that one of those teams will find a way to make mm-hmm. it there. I don't trust K-State. I think we have seen what they were through the first couple of games of the year, and then they come in, they play like you know national champions against OU, and we've seen that movie before, and they turn around and they struggle to be a team like Texas Tech, who they have this weekend. So it would not surprise me at all if they lost to the Raiders. Uh, so I think OU or Texas will, the talent on one of those teams will win out at the end of the day. Uh, next up, the worst team in the Big 12 is who? I think right now you have to say West Virginia. That's, that's my honest opinion. I think... It, it's weird because I actually watched some of the Kansas game and it wasn't that Kansas is just beating bad teams. I think that is part of it, but they look better. They really do look better. And the biggest X factor in college football is a mobile quarterback and they have it. And so I think Kansas is, is very can still be very, very flawed, but the fact that they've got a mobile quarterback who can really break down defenses is a game changer in where we're at in college football right now. So I can't put Kansas there anymore. I, I think it's West Virginia. I think right now, and, I, and that could change. If they go beat Texas, obviously this changes that conversation. But I don't mm-hmm. think Virginia Tech is very good. And, and I, I don't really know how good Pitt is. Pitt's winning, but it's kind of ugly. I'm really not sure kind of how good they are either. Um, so, yeah, lots of question marks around West Virginia and the, and the talent they've played. We'll see. But right now I have to say West Virginia is bottom of the pack. It's West Virginia for me. We'll find out this weekend mm-hmm. how for real TCU is. Um, and, you know, Corbin, I think you make a good point. I don't think it's too far of a stretch to say that the best quarterback in the Big 12 is in Lawrence, Kansas right now. So That's a great point. That's, um, that's going to be – a team that, you know, nobody's going to want to have to face with TC. Yeah, absolutely. But Kansas's offense, the numbers that they're putting up, they're the number one offense in the country, not just the big 12, the country. 
Guys, we're living in an age where Kansas just sold out their football stadium. Mm-hmm. It's just against Duke. Against Duke. <laughs> yeah. I I mean, Kansas, I, I think their best win is still Houston, although it didn't look nearly as good when Houston struggled to beat Rice this past Saturday. So mm-hmm. I'm still not really sure that Kansas has played anybody that's actually any good. All of Duke's wins were against pretty terrible teams. Yeah. Houston's so, not bad. Houston took Tech to overtime. Tech just beat did, Texas. But, but Rice took them to the wire. Food. Tulane beat K State. <laughs> yeah, it, so it all is a week to week. Yeah, game. And, well, and guys, and, I it's crazy to think about it. Kansas, the next two weeks, Iowa State, TCU, both at home. Yeah, there's could there's be, a very very good yeah. chance they are undefeated coming to Norman <laughs> in yeah. just a few weeks. So game yeah. day, game day, baby. <laughs> Give the people what they want. Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess Texas Tech is still in the conversation. They did beat Texas, and they're playing with a backup quarterback right now, but. I don't know, maybe they come back down to earth. Iowa State, this, I guess, is still in contention there as well, potentially. We'll yeah, see. this one's off script, but looking at OU's schedule the rest of the way, is it still Baylor in, in Texas? Is it one of those two teams as the most as the opponent that you're most worried about? We'll, find out, this, we'll find out this weekend if Oklahoma State's in that category or not. Yeah, yep. good point. I, good I mean, point. Spencer Sanders has been really incredible this year. I did find an interesting Spencer Bad Sanders. Competition. Bad competition. <laughs> Bad competition. Bad. I did see an interesting Spencer Sanders stat. Uh, he is number 11 in the country in passer efficiency rating. Do you know who number 12 is? Caleb Williams. Dylan Gabriel. So thought that was interesting Central, as of right now. Right ahead there. Central Michigan, Arizona State, Arkansas Pine Bluff. It's going to be a big jump up in competition going against Dave Miranda's group this weekend yeah. down in Waco. So that's going to be a good game. Some sneaky yeah. good games this weekend. Yeah. One really more games. passer efficiency leading the country. Number one overall, Max Duggan from TCU. So wow. a lot of Big 12 guys in there. Um, let's move on to bets. Let's move on to bets. Guys, we knew it was going to catch up to us at some point. It did last weekend. Vegas is starting to make all their money back after weeks one and two. Mm. Uh, two and three from both me and Tyler. We were one and four. Ooh, one and one four. four. One and four. One and four. Thank you. Should have been two and three. Appreciate that. Yeah, Peer pressure. You know, there it is. But uh, <laughs> Adam, the only of us, uh, only one of us who has not had a losing week but still finds himself in third. want to make sure I know that. <laughs> uh, 11 and nine. 11 and nine. 10, 8, and 2. Haven't uh, lost money. Our, our records. You have there not lost is. money, uh, but you have not gained any money either. <laughs> so, <laughs> all in perspective, let's get it started, guys. I went through the uh, sheet today and I had 12 games that I had to figure out how to break it down to five. Mm. Um, I don't know if that means I love the board or I hate the board. We're going to find out. My confidence is really, really low. I'm going to start off in the ACC. This line seems too good to be true. Fellas, wake at Florida State. Florida State is a seven-point favorite. Give me Wake Forest. I'm hoping they don't have a hangover after the tough loss to Clemson. Wake plus seven at Florida State. Interesting. Corbin, I had 11 on my card as well that I had to narrow down to five. Pick number one for me. I am going out to the AAC. Tulane traveling to H-Town to take on Dana Holgerson and the Cougars. Houston is a minus two-and-a-half-point favorite. Uh, guys, Tulane is two and seven in their last nine games in Houston. Dana Holgerson is going to want to turn this game into a track meet, and Tulane's defense has yet to face an offense uh, that is as explosive in the downfield passing game as Houston. So I love that I can still get this under under a field goal. So give me Houston to cover the two and a half on Friday night. 
Yeah, nice little Friday night action. I had the opposite problem as you guys. I had like three games on there. Could not figure out how to fill out the rest of it. Uh, I'm going to start in the Mac. And I know Tyler likes to laugh at me for picking these off-radar games, but they count just the same. I'm going with the Northern Illinois Huskies. It looks like Rocky Lombardi should be back. uh, And they are a a three-and-a-half-point favorite at Ball State. Uh, I picked against Ball State earlier in the year. And uh, I'm going to do that again. Give me the Huskies, the favorite to win the Mac. For those at home keeping keeping track, Adam has gone against Ball State previously. Uh, so you know, <laughs> just throwing that out there. Lombardi uh, being back is all the difference too. <laughs> huge difference. Um, let's go out to SEC country. I uh, had some hesitation. This line's pretty big. Uh, Arkansas losing a gut wrencher uh, to A and M. I've never seen a kick go off of the top of the goalpost and bounce out. Boink, their boink. Ass. What what happens if? <laughs> What happens if he doesn't hit it though? If it goes directly over the goalpost, is that a good or bad field goal? It's a, it's good. I think it's, it's good, good. Yeah. I, I'm I'm gonna lean to you, Adam, because Tyler's um, history and knowing the the rules. He also said Purdue has never won a Big Ten championship. That's clearly not true. So I don't know. I'm gonna go with it was probably good. Anyway, long story short, Bama minus 17. This feels like a game that Bama needs to come out and make a statement. I think they do that at Arkansas. Um, I'm hoping the Bama receivers figure out a way to be Bama receivers because that's been the big question mark about that team this year so far. Bama minus 17 and a half. Was your Big Ten West winner on your card this week that you narrowed it down from? Uh, Negative. Negative. (laughs) Pick number two for me. I'm going down to the SEC. Uh, Georgia traveling on the road to Columbia, Missouri to take on the Tigers. Missouri is 2 2 Time out. Nebraska's favored this weekend. By five and a half, I think. By five (laughs) and a half. Yeah. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Who are they playing? Indiana, Indiana, Illinois? Indiana Indiana at home. Night game. Yeah, I'm not touching that. Missouri's (laughs) 2 2 this season. And in the two games this year that the Tigers have played a team with a pulse. Their offense has only managed to score 12 and 14 points. Georgia played somewhat of a close game last weekend against Kent State. Um, that was a game, honestly, up until midway through the fourth quarter. That's all the edge that Kirby Smart and the and the Bulldogs are going to need this week. Georgia is going to beat Missouri by 35 plus. So give me the uh, give me UGA and the 28. My next three games are very similar, and then I'm taking the over in an area of the country that could have a lot of rain from Hurricane Ian. So it's definitely a risk. We'll see how it plays out. My first one, Virginia Tech at UNC. UNC solved a lot of Notre Dame's offensive woes this past Saturday, and I think they can do the same for Grant Wells. I'm taking the over 51 here because UNC can score a lot, but they can give up uh, about just as much. There you go. Uh, Tyler, I'm going to follow in your footsteps there. I, this, this line seems too good to be true. Uh, 28 points, Georgia, Missouri, uh, Luther Burden deleting all of his Mizzou, uh, you know, information on Instagram. Uh, we are at peak drama in the chip department in Missouri. Um, get, get, give me the dogs minus 28. I think last weekend was a good wake up call. Uh, Kent state really going up and down the field against Georgia. I think Kirby smart. will have his guys ready to go. Georgia minus 28. Yeah. I'm kind of taking a flyer on this one. The, the number one rule that we kind of go off in betting is you don't make money. You don't get rich betting against Nick Saban in Alabama. So in this one, I'm going to ride with Alabama in this one, but not, not total, not, them covering the 17 and a half point spread. I'm actually, I think that Arkansas 
that was kind of a gut punch loss that they suffered a week ago against Texas A&M. They outplayed A&M from start to finish. Uh, had an opportunity to go up 21-7. They fumble on the goal line. A&M runs it all the way back. The oink-doink at the very end. Arkansas should have won that football game. I know that it is a red out in Fayetteville this weekend. That crowd's going to be absolutely nuts, but this that's not going to be an atmosphere that Alabama and Bryce Young haven't seen before. So I think that Alabama is going to come out and jump on this team early. So I'm actually going to pick the Crimson Tide to cover five and a half after the first quarter. My number three uh, happening in Norfolk, Virginia, Liberty at Old Dominion. Caden Salter did not play for the Flames last weekend against Akron. The offense definitely suffered, but he was back at practice early this week. So I think the over-under line is a little bit low, uh, considering that uh, he may or may not play. I'm betting that he will. And I'm betting that the rain is not going to be enough to slow down the Flames offense or uh, the Monarchs in Old Dominion. Over 41 and a half, uh, pretty much every game the Old Dominion's played against a, a non-Power 5 team has gone well over that. So give me the over there. Let's go out to a place that is not going to have any rain. Um, it doesn't have it very often throughout the year. Colorado at Arizona. Um, the only concern I have here is that Arizona may put up 60. Uh, so I'm going to take the under of 57 and a half. Uh, again, guys, these lines seem just a bit too good to be true. Uh, Colorado does not put up a lot of points. Hopefully that stays the same. Under 57 and a half. That's a good pick as well. Uh, pick number four for me, I'm going out to the Big Ten. Michigan State traveling to Maryland. Maryland favored by seven and a half. Guys, Michigan State, Joanna, close your ears. Michigan State is coming off back-to-back losses where their defense has given up 34 and 39. Now they have to travel on the road and take on a Maryland squad that uh, has gotten off to a really nice start this season. They had a realistic chance to win at the Big House uh, this past Saturday. And seven and a half doesn't feel like it's too big against the Sparty defense, so give me Maryland uh, in the 7.5. That's one that felt too good to be true for me, so I stayed far away from that. Uh, My number four, back into uh, the hurricane, NC State at Clemson, the textile bowl. Uh, Over-under is at 39.5. I won last week taking the over on the Clemson game. I think their defense has some real holes, and I think NC State will be Uh, more of a challenge there so a little bit low probably because of the potential weather forecast and there's a possibility this game could get moved maybe to like sunday or something like that should be right in the middle of a bunch of rain so it maybe end up being a terrible pick but uh, over on 39 and a half that 39 and a half seemed so good to be true that i was scared to death to even to even consider that yep vegas knows uh asu at usc i think the trojans bounce back this week asu is pretty bad usc goes up and down the field on them trojans minus 26 big number scares me but i think they'll be all right do i want to bet oklahoma for the fourth week in a row (laughs) that's six and a half number ou coming off of a loss they don't lose back-to-back games often but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to stick with my guns on here. Corbin, don't even try to talk me into it. I'm going back out to the Pac-12 country. Going by the numbers, Washington minus three at UCLA. Washington and UCLA, these are the two most explosive offenses statistically in the Pac-12. Washington quarterback Michael Penix Jr. is off to one hell of a start uh, with the Huskies this season. While I do expect there to be a lot of points in this matchup, this game for me comes down simply to I do not trust Chip Kelly and UCLA in big games. So I can get this game at three points. Uh, give me the Huskies to go on the road and cover. That seemed too good to be true. Too. Yeah, I was about to say the same thing. So I stayed away from that one. I'm going to go to Navy at Air Force. 
I know I was accused of hating the troops when Air Force came to town for baseball earlier this year, but uh, not this time. I'm taking Air Force and Navy. I'm taking the you over on this one. I know there's, there's the over gonna, the over wow. 37 wow. and a half. It is a little bit low. I know there's going to be a lot of running in this game, but you have to remember the Navy of this year and of the last two or three years has not been the same Navy program that we think of over the last decade or so. They have not been good. They've given up over 30 points multiple times this year. So I think Air Force could very well cover that by themselves. Wow. Not your granddaddy's Navy is what you're saying. Nope. The Air Force is uh, the t- you know fighting force of the 21st century. So We appreciate you uh, supporting the military, Adam. But hey, only Air the Force Air Force. Be, Air Force could be the, uh, the best of all the uh, military schools. Could be. Let's do score predictions for Saturday. OU traveling down to Fort Worth, TCU, an 11 a.m. kickoff on ABC. Sorry that you have to listen to RG3 on the uh, color analyst there. But, uh, guys, what's your score predictions? At least it's not Greg McElroy. Go ahead, Tyler. <laughs> oh, God. Um, I think Oklahoma is going to bounce back this weekend, but I think that they're going to have to put up a lot of points in order to do it. So, this is going to be a huge bounce-back opportunity for them. OU cannot afford to look ahead to Texas next weekend, not coming off of a loss. So I expect Oklahoma to bounce back this weekend. It's still, I think, going to be a defensive struggle. TCU's got the firepower offensively uh, to put, to keep up with Oklahoma for much of this game. So I'm going Oklahoma 45, TCU 31. Uh, it looks like Adam has lost power, so he has texted in his uh, his pick OU 41. It's TCU, not even raining. TCU 20. Hey, listen, clearly the hurricane shifted a little more west than anybody was <laughs> expecting, and it has made its way into uh, the central states. OU 41, TCU 24 is Adam's pick. I'm not too far off here. I've got OU 38, TCU 24. I think this is a, a good bounce back game uh, for the Sooners. Uh, who knows, guys? Uh, we, we have not seen Brent Venables. Uh, as a head coach in Norman handle a loss. We're going to find out a lot this weekend. So um, that's it for me. Last thing before we, we close, Tyler, I'll let you close. David Hicks, is he a Sooner tomorrow? Yes. There you, there you go. Heard it's it here first. A, it's been a Sooner for a long time. That's going to do it for go. us on this episode of the Mainline Podcast. Appreciate you guys for listening. If you made it this far, on whatever platform you choose to uh, partake in your uh, listening of the podcast, give us a five-star review, like, uh, give us a five-star review, like, and subscribe. Um, give us a follow on Twitter at the mainline pod. Appreciate all the interaction that you guys have given us over the past few weeks. It is going to continue to ramp up and get even better as we move further into big 12 play. Uh, but for Corbin, Adam and Tyler, appreciate you guys for listening. And we will be back next week to recap OUTCU and look ahead to OU's trip down to the cotton bowl for OU Texas. So appreciate you guys for listening. And we'll be back next week for another episode of the mainline podcast.